So I'm going to read a scripture. We'll read in a couple different versions and grasp a little bit. And I won't labor here long. But I think the Lord needs to speak to us through his written word. Would you focus for a moment on the written word of God? And I'll preach the written word of God. Amen. Second Kings chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. Here's a few verses. The New King James. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, or behold, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now that was not true. That was a lie. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel, think of that, answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoram, and Jehoshaphat, and the king of Eden, went down to the prophet Elisha. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But Jehoram said, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Again, another fable. And the prophet said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Here are two last verses in the King James. I like its prose. But now bring me a minstrel, the prophet said. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Just a few words in the next verse. And Elisha said, Thus saith the Lord. I have a few moments to say this to you. Bring me a minstrel. Now I cover this place in the blood of Jesus. By the authority of your word and the power of this in your name. Let every heart be opened, changed, and focused. I pray it in your matchless name by the authority that you have given to us. Do your matchless work. I pray it. Somebody lift up your hands and call out to God and just give him glory and honor, majesty, power, and might. Thank you, and you may be seated. History has boasted of hundreds of kings, monarchs. All of them seem to have come and gone, some profound, some without notice. The rise and fall of these aristocrats typically ushered in violent shifts in conduct and allowances under duress of a myriad of philosophical changes. Some kings followed the Lord while others 
despise the holy things of God. None were more complex and wicked than that of Ahab and Jezebel, the dual head that rebutted God's holy men and spilled innocent blood at every turn. But like all kings, Ahab died. No ruler lasts forever. No leader leads in perpetuity. Everything, whether good or bad, comes to an end, and then a new measure must be taken. The Bible says that Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel, but the people are still divided. The united kingdom of David has long since passed. The northern and southern kingdoms and their subsequent wars have scarred the land for decades. Jehoram is a mixed bag. He will remove part of the idols in the land. He will end the needless bloodshed against the prophets. He will accommodate in some measure a worship style. But he still walks in darkness and perversion. Jehoram still promotes idolatry and the grove, some high places. He leaves room for false gods, soothsayers, and the scripture tells us witches. And yet somehow in this narrative he has made an alliance with the righteous king from Judah, whose name is Jehoshaphat. I read it to you. Jehoram is the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Jehoram is trying to keep the iron fist of his father around the neck of his enemies. But when Ahab died, so did the trepidation of the enemy. Ahab instilled fear against his enemies and neighboring nations alike. The king of Moab was paying a tax to Ahab in the form of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams per year. But upon Ahab's death, Moab stopped paying the tax. They didn't fear Jehoram like they did Ahab and Jezebel. This stop payment alone gave the green light to all other nations that Israel was now weak and it caused a stir throughout this small and yet confined world. So Jehoram decided to unite with his southern brothers. He went to find Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, for counsel. Maybe, Jehoram thought, that the two of them could form a bond and bring their armies together to defeat a common enemy. Maybe they could reinstitute fear among their would-be oppressors. The Bible will also include the king of Edom in this mix of disenfranchised kings. We can only presume that Edom also hated Moab, seeing that they were scorned brothers. So the three of them united. They marched their armies in a large circle for seven days until finally they ran out of water and food and supplies. Not only were they without direction, they were without food and water. Their strength ran out. It's an obvious poor choice in leadership. All the gear, clanging swords and spears, and no one to fight. Think of it. It wasn't until they were depleted that someone had the bright idea to ask God for help. Such is the case with most of us. When things are going well, we neglect our pursuit of the Lord. When we are up, yearning is down. When we're riding high and our world is running smooth, there's little need to find the prayer room or go on a weekend fast. Most people won't cry until they are in pain, though we know now that tears are a praise in themselves. So look closely. Jehoram is caught. Having run out of supplies, he blames God. He's a foolish king with no spiritual depth. He's a user and a taker, and just because he wasn't as bad as his father does not make him any less corrupt. He uses half-truth to get his way, but we've come to know now 
that a half-truth is a full lie. <laughs> I'm concerned that the American church doesn't believe that. We're still categorizing sin in color codes. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, however, knows they've made a mistake. He's not like Jehoram. And so instead of blaming God for their poor predicament, Jehoshaphat asked one of the most important questions anyone could ever ask in his age or ours. He said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? I wish I could pause on that question, but this is not the path the Lord has directed me to take. Except you better have a prophet in your life and he better come with a veto power over you. Hmm. Jehoram is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. But the answer does not come from Jehoshaphat or his staff. It doesn't come from this righteous king of Judah. It comes from one of the officers of Jehoram, the wicked king of Israel. He says, yes, there's a prophet. And his name is Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He's here. And I don't know why Jehoshaphat, the righteous king, is taken up with Jehoram. I cannot tell you because the Bible does not reveal his intentions. All I can say is that maybe with a fig leaf of peace offered from Judah to Israel, perhaps Jehoshaphat thinks that this would be a good time to provide some spiritual influence in the life of Jehoram. Maybe, maybe Jehoshaphat was trying to see the good in Jehoram by, by bypassing the obvious sin and idolatry that he promoted. But the prophet, not so. The prophet saw right through Jehoram. Elisha is not a fool. Elisha sees beyond the misguided arrangement of these three transient kings. And when he is pressed, he replies with contempt. He says to Jehoram, the king of Israel, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you or even notice you. All these kings and their attending armies are in need of God's direction. No one inquired of God before they began, and now they're caught in a no-win situation. They don't even know if they should fight Moab. All they know is that they have wasted their strength, and now they're standing at the brink of starvation and abandonment. Their defeat now would be to return home without gain or loss. And a return without a battle would mean diminished credibility and a stain on them all. So finally, finally they seek God. Sadly, at the end of their resources, they finally seek a prophet. And now this most profound and powerful prophet steps forward, Elisha. He's been trained by Elijah. In the course of his ministry, Elisha will have part of the river Jordan. He will purify a bitter spring in Jericho. A widow will pay off her debt with oil that flows through empty vessels at his direction. Elisha will raise a dead son back to life and multiply bread and grain for other men of God. The miracles wrought through this temporal but faithful hands are magnificent. By virtue of his spoken word, Gehazi becomes leprous and the enemies of Israel will be blinded. Elisha has seen too much to be deceived. He's too dedicated, far too dedicated to have his anointing exploited. He's far too dedicated to waste his time. He's powerful. He does not mince words. None of them are fallen. That's why a sunken axe head swam back to the surface at his command. Think of it. Elisha made axe heads swim and float. So when Elisha stood forward to speak a word from God to these wayward, confused, and altogether misguided kings. You would think that he could do it all by himself. He's 
the preacher, the prophet, all by himself. He needs no one else. You would think because he's anointed and he's appointed. He's powerful and he's gifted. But even Elisha knows the setting is off. The environment is filled with false pretense and flesh. Elisha can sense it. He can smell it. He can taste it in his mouth. He's standing there in the midst of a king of Edom. No doubt a corrupt king with degradation written on his forehead. He's standing there with Jehoram the son and likeness of Ahab and Jezebel. And then there's Jehoshaphat. Righteous but not wise. Good hearted but terribly misguided and clouded in judgment. On all of it. All of this mess urged by a selfish motive to extort and retain more ill-gotten gain from Moab. I tell you that the setting was a cloudy mix of flesh and ignorance. All three kings and their attending officers are a swirling band of confusion. No clear leader. No clear direction. All of it is wrong. And then finally there is Elisha. But the prophet knows that he cannot find God or a word from God in an atmosphere like this. They together have blanketed the tenor with tension and uncertainty, with corruption and evil intent. Elisha is not just a man of the word, but he is the man of the word who understands the high value of the right atmosphere. He has a word in his mouth. God is going to speak to him and through him, but the setting is wrong. I hope you can hear me tonight atmospheres become the gateways of destinies setting the ambiance is not a trivial thing they open and close massive doors they shift the heart toward the hearing or they build walls against the word atmospheres and elisha the prophet the most profound prophet knows that no clear sound can be heard in an atmosphere so drenched with dubiety and doubt he's powerful but he's not sufficient and he knows it. He's powerful, but he's not arrogant. He's bold, but he's not haughty. The prophet knows something that transcends dispensations and times and cultures and yes, countries. He knows that the spirit world must be managed in order for the prophetic word to be released. And he knows that he cannot do it by himself. So Elisha leans on the one who can order the spirit world and it calls for the minstrel the musician as powerful as a prophet is he is but another minister but he cannot set the course straight without the musician Elisha represents the word but he does not represent the worship the musician, the singer, the player of strings will order the spirit world. And if any preacher is honest with you, they'll know exactly what I'm saying is true. He or she will play with melody and harmony, that minstrel to bring order into this mixture of motives. Three kings with separate ideas and a motley crew of disjointed, thirsty, and desperate armies. But the minstrel will bring order to all these swirling thoughts. He will set in sequence the disposition and the sound enough to cast out vain philosophies and dark opposition. 
Elijah wants to give the word. He's ready to speak it, but the atmosphere is not right. He's ready to set direction for their entire lives. He's ready to speak God's prophetic word that will give revelation and then ultimately conclusion. In fact, the word of the prophet is known to reveal life and death. It will give course to their homes and nations. And yes, these aimless men of war. The word is going to save them from destruction and Starvation, the word, their very lives pivot on the prophet's spoken word. But Elisha is not sufficient in and of himself, and he knows it. The word needs music. The prophet displays his dependence on the musician. So Elisha says, and I quote, Bring me a minstrel. Go look at King Saul. Turn back the hands of time. You'll find out what happened when King Saul strayed from the command of the Lord. Saul is tormented in his heart, in his spirit. He's conflicted by haunting spirits and anger. Here's the word, and I'll quote it for you. Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shall be well. And Saul sent to Jesse's saying let David I pray stand before me he's found favor in my sight and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took up the harp and played with his hands so that Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit was departed from him even God will give ease to the spirit world when an anointed musician plays a corrupt king was refreshed and evil spirits departed because God made it so. That fact never found better footing than when we peer back into the life of Elvis. Yes, the king. The rock and roller who grew up in a southern Pentecostal church and spoke in tongues and sang and danced his way into the annals of musical history. But even as he attended the grand stage and he attained all that stuff and all the money and adoring fans he could desire, there was an emptiness that fame could not fill. So in the 1960s, the king kept going back to the songs of his mother and of the church. I won't name them all, but he sang songs like, Lead me on, precious Lord. But the most notable moment happened when a short clip, in that short clip, Elvis sang, He touched me. Oh, the joy that filled my soul. He was at the height of his fame, but he was also so clearly bound with addictions, and yet it was the songs about God that calmed the storms of his life. The footage that I have seen is striking. It perplexed the Beatles. They left their meeting with Elvis, and they said, and I quote, Who is this king who sings gospel songs? His band, background singers, said that there was never as much peace in rehearsals than when they broke out in church courses. You can see it as the Jordanaires sang back up. The scene is incredible. A conflicted and addicted music star finds order and peace when he begins to sing. He touched me. You see, there's something about music that soothes and orders the spirit world. And not just music, but anointed music. Not just musicians, but anointed musicians.
so many times I, I come to this pulpit and I have a word from the Lord but I know that the people in the congregation are not ready to receive it until praise and worship and the musicians have all united the body of believers so I cry out before I get up to preach bring me a minstrel I need a musician but not just any musician I don't want just another player I need a musician hear the cry of a pastor and a preacher I need a musician who doesn't grace the platform in search of yet another vocal trick I've heard Mariah Carey honey and you are not her give me someone with fervency who is not stained by familiarity of the platform I need a musician who isn't putting on a performance because the word is about to go forth and a destiny is about destiny is about to change and it's the spirit world that must be held at bay by the holy spirit of promise oh. and i tell you that when things are in order the lord will do what only he can do the father will do what only the father can do so i appeal to you Bring me a minstrel. I appeal to you. Bring me a musician who lives a pure life as unto the Lord. And pure when the sound system is off. I need singers and keyboard players and guitar players who live a pure life because sexual sins have killed a thousand of us over and over perversions lurk like a crouching tiger at the door waiting to devour us and the heartlessness and half-heartedness has tamed even tamed, stained even the greatest of ministries I need a musician, a minstrel, I need you, I need you to turn the soil of hardened hearts and the different dispositions toward the Lord. Turn it over, the word is hovering, revelations are at work, perhaps the prophetic word, and all of that, and more is poised, standing ready, but they need an atmosphere that sets the room and the church in order. And while I can only claim a few members here in this house, I'm confident to speak on behalf of so many other pastors and maybe evangelists. Bring us an anointed, prayerful, let's just go the next step, and practiced minstrel. Come on now. Come on now. Really? Give me a break. Sloppy, slipshod, shooting from the hip music is a disgrace. The anointing isn't hindered when we rehearse. I'd invite you into my office, but there's not enough room. But go look at any sermon or lesson I've ever taught. I'm not running off of momentary inspiration. I've been with God, and I'm entering this platform prepared to be before you. I gotta get with Him, and I gotta practice with Him before I get with you. Hey, I want anointing. I want practice. I want perform. I, I, I want love. I want passion. So I'm not looking for singers and musicians that treat your ministry like a part-time pizza delivery driver. I know. It's a problem around here, I know. I know when it's off. All the chords just smashed together, songs sounding like a traffic jam on Times Square, horns blaring, drummers trying new licks. 
somebody deciding this would be a good time to break off to some Charlie Puth falsetto riff didn't work even if you could open up like Heather Headley or lay down like Anthony Hamilton now is not the time to set in order something greater than your personal in your personal endeavor now is the time to get on board with the Word of God now's the time hear me singers now's the time to set the atmosphere in order so that God can do what only God can do you're gonna set the world you're gonna set the spirit world in order I hope you can hear my heart and not just my words the Bible the preached word the word of God deserves excellence and passion and prayer and sincerity and honesty from that most needed minstrel I don't need a prima donna. I need someone who will carry the burden of broken lives and wounded spirits. I need, I need an exhibition of love through song. I don't need small kingdom building. Because in this house and in the churches which you are privileged to minister resides a mixture. Think of it of human spirits and dark spirits all colliding with the Holy Spirit. And there is a demand on your life to turn the soil over so the seed can be planted. Oh, bring me a minstrel. I have a word. I'm ready to offer the word God's direction that guides lives, so many of which are weighing in the balance, but I need a frontline singers who are willing to express the divine order and will of the Father and chase away the doubt so the word of faith has room to fall. I need anointed musicians whose attitude is right. Because the walls of any drum booth will never be thick enough to hide a bad spirit. And the back row of the choir is not far enough to cover disunity. And if you got a problem singing in the back row, you got a problem singing. Listen, your spirit is like a radio transmitter. You transmit everything you feel. You can say all the right things, but you transmit what you feel. When you get in the microphone, you're transmitting doubt, anger, dispositions that are not of God. I'm going to say, bring me a minstrel, a musician who loves the Lord and loves the people, who is in order and setting things in order, who knows that the spirit world is against the Lord's word. I gotta have a musician that loves this and is passionate for this. It's not a momentary performance. It's not a gig. It's not something we do on platforms to gain the attention or adoration of people. But we are bringing the people into the throne room and setting the atmosphere in order. Oh, bring me a minstrel. We've never met anybody like Elisha. We wouldn't know to do. We wouldn't know what to do with a man like Elisha. But even Elisha, the great prophet who had the devil portion of anointing of his predecessor, knew he could not do it without a musician anointed, purpose, and positioned. Oh. I've been in those places now where the preacher got up and he had to actually work through the disjointed and disarray music set. Nobody knew where they were going. 
nobody really cared I would say to you don't you realize that the seed has no place to land if the soil of the heart is hard and indifferent but when you're right and you're pure and you're prayed up uh, all I have to do is just open up the book and the already anointed inspired God breathed word the word of God that spoke the world into existence the cosmos that he had made and then in that own word he just steps down in it because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him without anything made that was made and in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth when you open up the soil all I have to do is plant a little seed down it and when the seed goes somebody is changed and a life is changed so bring me a minstrel if all you have is talent well then people will leave feeling good but lives won't be altered if all you have is ability, I'm glad for you. But if there's no anointing, there'll be no prevailing touch from the Most High God. If the oil of anointing hasn't been poured out on your life and your heart, then all we have is a performance, but the yoke is never broken. So bring me, bring me a player, an anointed musician, singer, appointed by God, and all together determined to move in the Holy Spirit. See, nothing else will matter. Every week in our churches, hurting hearts and wounded spirits enter. Every week there are people in conflicts, some with arrogance born out of their own misplaced pride. Others riddled with humiliation and loss, suffering in worlds far removed from our collective thought. But if we're working in unison, God will do something that cannot be calculated or considered by our platform prowess. Elisha knew it. I tell you that Elisha did not set the precedent. He just revealed what had always been. Joshua did it. Walls came down. Jericho had to be conquered, but it wasn't the word or the soldiers that led the way. It was the trumpeteers and the singers and the praisers that allowed the sword to be drawn. See, the sword can't be drawn until the walls come down through song. The word can be received when the atmosphere is set in order by the singers and the musicians. Oh, to have purity on the platform combined with practice and then purpose and then passion and compassion. See, I want it all. I want everything. I used to hear preachers talk about a lion, the living, the, the dead lion and the living dog. I was a kid. I remember somebody preaching about, I'd rather be, because the Bible, the Old Testament talks about a living dog and a dead lion. And, and, and someone talked about, I'd rather, be a, I'd rather be a living dog than a dead lion. And everybody clapped. Not me. I didn't clap. I don't want to be no living dog. I want to be a live lion. Because li live lions eat dogs for breakfast. 
You can have a living dog. I want to be a live lion. I want it all. I want the Holy Ghost. I want deliverance. I want the high and the low. I want the attorneys and the doctors. I want the drug addicts and the alcoholics. I want the people who don't know anything about Jesus. I want people who know everything about Jesus. I want the sinner and the saint. I want the people from the left and the right. I want the people that are conflicted and the people who were conflicted. I want it all. I want the musicians to be anointed. I want the word to be preached anointed. I want the people to be blessed. I want it all. I don't know, but I have an insatiable appetite for a move of God and the zeal of thine house eats me up every day. This is not a performance. This is my life. So bring me a minstrel. So I stand here not to ask you for more rehearsals or schedules or red well chord charts. I trust you'll do that. <laughs> I'm not really interested in another loop or a pad, strings for foundation. I don't... I'm asking you for dedication in the days when you're not here and holiness and lifestyle and integrity when there's no one around. I'm looking for a minstrel, a musician that can set the tone, the temperature so that someone can be rescued from the fire and given hope for the future. Uh, even as I stand here, I know the Bible is replete with songs of deliverance and songs that were sung even after the communion. And I say to you, your need is great. Your call is high. Your commission is to set in order the turmoil of our world. I have more, but I feel to stop. I pause right here at this intersection to tell you that our pastors may not always express what I just told you. That doesn't mean they don't want you. That doesn't mean they don't want you. Our pastors may not always know this because they don't carry the tune. They carry the burden of the people. But when you are anointed, it changes the course of their lives and of mine. You see, when the word comes forward, there's nothing like the word. When the word comes forward, then God gets to do what he has already spoken. Mm, I don't think you got that. When the preached word comes forward, I'm not talking about Reader's Digest or Chicken Soup for the Soul. I'm talking about the scripture. When I preach the word, God's going to do what only he can do. Because when I'm preaching his word, I'm preaching him. Because you can't separate him from this. I just uttered him among all the people. And when you prepare the hearts of the people and then I do what I have to do, then the lives are changed because he just got invested inside of the hearts of the people. This is no trivial matter. This is no, this is no light thing. This is nothing we can brush off. On Sunday or next week, you're going to go home. You'll be tired. 
and I don't want you to put on a show, but definitely put on your game face because at that moment, it's not about you. It's about a world that needs to be set in order so that the word can be heard and God can be invested. I want you just to stand your feet right now and I want you to lift up your hands and I want you just to admit it to the Lord and say it. I submit myself to you. I'm going to be that Lord. Let me become that Lord. <laughs> Come on now, you've got to say it out of your mouth. I'm committing something here tonight in this house. I know my role. I know what I've got to do. I've got to get behind and beyond myself. Yes, yes, yes. I don't want to sound dramatic, but lives are at stake. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to dramatize this, but there are futures at stake. And what you leave here with, there's a future at stake. You don't know it yet. You can't see it. But if you only could see, somebody's family is waiting on you to be anointed. And you're anointing going to change the course of someone's world. Uh. You're not singing just to perform. You're singing to usher in the Holy Spirit so that the hand of the Lord can rest upon the speaker that delivers the word. You're not just passing time. It's not a song set. It's not a song set. It's order out of confusion. It's simplicity out of chaos. Oh, the word. Now, Lord, I pray right now, use us for your glory. We stand in search of purity and in holiness. We stand in search of your appointment and your anointing. We're seeking you tonight, Lord. Give us a view of what we're supposed to be doing and why. Ah. The Lord's talking to you now, so let him talk to you. Because you've got to get your world in order. You've got to forget about yourself. You've got to come boldly before the throne. And you've got to put your world in order, your spirit in order, your life in order. So God can use you. He wants to make you a conduit of his anointing and his power.